Avalara proudly sponsors this podcast series about accountants by accountants and featuring some of the best thought leaders in the industry. Thank you to our sponsor, Avalara. Avalara's award-winning tax automation solutions help accounting practitioners and businesses of all sizes simplify sales tax compliance with real-time rates, automated returns filing, and more. Learn more at avalara.com. Hey everyone, this is Laura Lynn and you're listening to the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly Accounting Podcast. More accountants than ever are experimenting and shaping our profession in new and interesting ways. On this show, I sit down with these rock stars to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, the struggles, and the strategies that they're taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. Accountants can earn free CPE credit from listening to this podcast. Just download the Earmark CPE app in the App Store or visit earmarkcpe.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly Accounting Podcast. Today's episode is about setting boundaries with clients and staff. And the guest I have to talk through this is Shana. Shana is the chief strategist for Shana Co. LLC, a CPA firm specializing in outsourced client accounting services and technology selection and implementation services. She and her team focus on using technology to deploy a proactive approach to client and staff management, which leads to success in business for her clients and her firm and leaves time for everyone to focus on family, family and extracurricular activities. Because this is such a part of her firm and what she does, I thought she would be the perfect person to discuss setting boundaries and expectations. So Shana has also received the Sage Circle of Excellence Accounting Award, twice received the CPA Practice Advisors 40 Under 40 Honor, and twice selected as one of the CPA Practice Advisors 25 Most Powerful Women in Accounting. She's also a member of the Sage Advisory Board, the Thomas Reuters Onvio Product Advisory Board, and the Avalara Meta Influence Board. So we got a celebrity here, folks. So <laughs> Sheena, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank uh, you for having me. I appreciate you asking yeah, me. Yeah. Can you tell us, you know, kind of 10,000 foot viewpoint where you started and how you got here? Yeah. So um, I have been uh, uh, in accounting my entire life, actually. I oh, wow. was born into it. Yeah. My dad is a CPA. My mom and dad had an accounting firm. Oh. Um, is it, it still is it still active? Are they still practicing? Well, it is now because I have it. So <laughs> it wasn't in my plan. Um, it, it was not where I thought I was going in life. And we can certainly hit those highlights. But I am here. And it turned yes. out to be a great, uh, a great life, really. And I'm very excited about it being being what I have chosen for my profession. I just, it's just not where I thought I'd be. So, mm -hmm. but I have been in this the whole time and uh, I went to college to do anything but this. <laughs> I, I, I did, I did everything. I went to school, you know, uh, to go, I don't know, be a lawyer, history major, went to Japan, took Japanese, thought maybe oh, wow. I'd do something in that um, at a university there, came back home. Um, and then about in my senior year, I was like, I guess I'll just do accounting. So here I am. <laughs> so, so then I went to work for a large firm and uh -huh. um, for whatever reasons, then I came back to my hometown and, and I did go to work for my parents and took over a firm. But let me tell you, that is not an easy process. Yeah. Things have changed. You know, dad started in the 70s or really in the late 60s in accounting. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so then to bring a firm into, you know, the, the, whatever year that was, 2004, something like that to bring it up, <laughs> took yeah. a lot of work, yeah. a lot of work. So I've been through many years of changes in the accounting industry. Yeah. And was their firm, were they structured, were they just kind of a traditional tax firm? What were, how, what services were they offering? Yeah. So my dad came from one of the big eight firms at the time oh, wow. and um, started his own firm and they did what I would call from the cradle to the grave accounting. What do you need? You yeah. know, from the time um, somebody comes in and they need a tax return and they have a business and then they have kids and then they raise those kids and they put those kids through college and those have businesses. And then how do we um, take the businesses and pass them down to the children or sell yeah. them? Whatever it is, they did it 
and he came from an auditing background originally. So he okay. did reviews. He did everything. Mm-hmm. So we had to stop that. The world's <laughs> different now. <laughs> we can't do it all anymore. Is kind of how have has because I'm like, of course, the topic of this episode is boundaries, and I'm like, holy moly! Like that's <laughs> what I keep hearing in my head right now is that wow, the it doesn't sound like there was probably a lot of boundaries in place <laughs> when that was going in terms of like whatever you need, we will do it. Whereas like, I would love to know how, where you're at now, like, how have you transitioned that kind of just like broad, broad view? Yeah. We just don't take everybody as a client anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I will refer people to other CPAs around me. I have no problem. We no longer accounts historically, CPAs historically have seen other CPAs as competition. Uh, I think a great word for that now is cooperation. We cooperate with each other and we, yeah. there's a little competition, but really if you don't fit me and not, or I don't fit you, that's fine. Let me send you someplace else. We're all going to be happier for it. Mm-hmm. We've also changed our services and really honed in who, who, what kind of services we want to do mm-hmm. because, you know, I think when I took the CPA exam, even I remember looking at my dad and saying, there was no FASB when you took the exam, dad, things are different. <laughs> and I now know, and I know now when people are taking the CPA exam, they like to say to us, you know, us, those of us who are older, it's different. There's so many more rules. Yeah. And with all of those rules come more responsibilities and more liability, legalities. And mm-hmm. so we kind of have to hone in what we want to actually pay attention to so we can do it the best we can. Yeah. Yeah. And then a little later in the episode, we'll kind of get more into, you know, the specific services you're offering and the boundaries around that. But let's now just start with like, how would you define boundaries? Like when we say that, what do we actually mean? I think for boundaries for us as professionals is more, it's about expectations and setting the expectations both internally for how your firm's going to operate, how your employees are going to work, what kind of stuff you want to do. And externally, what should the clients expect of you and what should you expect of them and what's their role in making whatever we're doing for them successful and what's our role? Mm-hmm. And and then, and how do we do that to keep everybody happy? How do we put that? It's never going to fit in a box just right, yeah. but how can we design that the best we can so that everybody's on the same page? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... Listeners, so from now on the rest of the episode, we're going to we're going to talk about boundaries in terms of expectations. And I think that's a great way to think about it cuz boundaries can feel a little nebulous, you know, and there's I feel like there's been a lot more talk of it in the past 10 years than you know there has before in terms of like interpersonal relationships and work relationships. So I feel like expectations is kind of a more firm definition of it that's a little easier to conceptualize. Okay. So when you first started out, so when you first go to work, you know, with your dad or at these big firms, what did you know kind of about expectations and how to set them? Like, were were people teaching you? Were they giving you those guidelines? Like, this is what we expect with how you, you know, interact with other staff, with your bosses, with your clients, or was it kind of the Wild West and it was up to you to define those? So I started out with an amazing larger firm in uh, Charleston, West Virginia, and I couldn't have worked for a better firm. I, I interned with a great firm in college that was wonderful. And when I when I got out and really cut my teeth and being responsible mm-hmm. in the larger scheme, I couldn't have asked for a better firm. That firm, their idea of boundaries, though, like all kind of bigger firms in the in that time period was here's your handbook. Mm-hmm. Here are the policies. Please know how to record your time. Um, you know, how to, what to wear to work. Don't forget close to shoes and, you know, things like that. Um, but when it came to client work, it was, you're going to do this tax return and you're just going to get it done. You know, here it is, get it done. Uh This is how many hours we think you should have on it, but Mm -hmm. do it till it's done. And then over time I started into, I don't want to say exactly bookkeeping. It was more CAS for that for those particular clients. I was working yeah. on Japanese manufacturing clients at the time. And I started doing accounting for them. And thankfully, I learned a lot because my larger firm let us do the billing right at Ooh. a young, at, you know, we were just staff accountants and I was yeah. allowed to do the billing. So I got a really good look at how my time affected the bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but from there, 
things have certainly progressed and changed. That's all easy because that's hourly billing. So what kind yeah. of boundaries do you have when you hourly bill? <laughs> yes. Right? It's mostly fixed pricing. I won't say mm -hmm. I'm 100% there. I don't want to disappoint anybody. I would like to be 100% <laughs> there. Um, I have a couple issues and that normally falls around like tax notices or things like that. And I know there's way people handle that, but I'm not there yet for me. Yeah. But it, but boundaries become very, very important when you're value pricing or upfront pricing versus hourly billing. Now we really have to set what is in scope and out of scope for the client mm -hmm. and teach our employees not to overpour, as I like to call it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I was listening to another pop, I think it was ear, earmark with Blake and he was interviewing uh, Brandon Hall, who's the real estate CPA. Have you seen him on Twitter at all? I have seen him on Twitter, yes, yes but yeah. I don't know so, him. Yeah. So I actually like kind of soft met him a couple years ago. We were in Thrival together, but oh, yeah. this podcast was really interesting because he does it. He's very much you know fixed pricing, value billing proponent, and of course the question is scope creep. What do you what do you do? How do you train staff? And what he does is he ties compensation, like some of it, to the actual work they're doing. So it's like if people are going out of scope, the staff will be the first person to tell him because they're not making as much money. <laughs> on it. And I That's thought that great. was a really interesting yet effective way to do it. Like, yeah. I think that, that is, people get confused that with value pricing, that you're just throwing a price out and then you just do the work and you maybe monitor the amount of transactions, mm -hmm. but you really have to monitor on the employee side. I think it takes more effort to manage yeah. employees when you're value pricing mm -hmm. than it does when you're hourly billing. Cause you just kind of get to throw that burden on the client. Yeah. Um, when it's all said and done. You don't get to do that when you're value pricing. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. Avalara helps businesses of all sizes get indirect tax compliance right. Their sales tax solutions help you manage sales and use tax complexities while lessening risk for your business and clients. Whether you're a small business or a global enterprise, Avalara can help you deliver tax compliance services confidently and efficiently. Over 30,000 organizations across the globe use Avalara's cloud-based compliance solutions to solve transaction tax compliance needs, including sales and use, VAT, and other direct and indirect taxes. Okay, well, so do you think because obviously our generation or where we are at in the profession, boundaries and expectations are very important. Do you think they were less important to the older generation? And if so, why? Why Why was this not important to them? I'm not sure if they were less important or difference in importance, the type of boundaries they set. You know, they might have had boundaries like you have to look a certain way every single day. You have to go mm -hmm. to lunch and market yourself every single day. You need to be punctual every single day. You know, mm -hmm. those, their boundaries, I think my dad even started, he had to wear a hat to work every single day at Cooper's and Library. And, you know, that was the thing. He had to wear yeah. a hat. So it was just different. And, uh -huh. but when it came down to working, the hourly bill, when we go back to it, the hourly bill, they didn't have to worry while they wanted to be in, in their time, their scheduled time allotted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It maybe wasn't quite as important as, as it is now. Now also there's so much legalities again around everything that boundaries are super important, both internally with our employees. Mm -hmm. um, and externally with our clients and attitudes have changed. They're yeah. just different and not good nor bad. It's just a different way that people want to work now. And so now we've got to figure out how to set new boundaries to not take advantage of people who will work any time of day, yeah. nor let people take advantage to, of us who yeah. Say they're working when maybe they're really not because we don't have eyes on them anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you like, it made me think like, I wonder if the hourly billing model is allows for less strict boundaries in a way, you know, because yeah. it's like there's not, you're just billing for your time. So if you're going over, if there's scope creep, oh, scope creep, oh, well, I'm being compensated for it. So that's kind of interesting to think of like maybe there was a, big tie-in in the past with that since it was all hourly billing. Like you don't have to be as strict with boundaries because it's like, well, you're getting paid either way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And clients generally wrote the bill, right? They may feel bad after the fact and maybe next year they go find somebody else, but generally they don't. Yeah. They, they pay you and they do it again next year. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's a really interesting angle I never even thought to consider in that whole 
debate of hourly versus fixed pricing. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So what are the different ways, and you can speak, you know, internally in your company is how are boundaries and expectations, like how are those set and communicated with employees, you know, first when they're hired and then also on an ongoing basis? So this is something that's really changed over time. I have to say, I came from a firm that while it was wonderful, it was somewhat strict. Like I said, they had a handbook and we paid attention. And then I came into a small firm and I wanted to run it the same way. And then I realized this is silly. These people don't operate this way. I mean, I've got like three or four people in a hallway. I can just yell down the hall and hit everybody at one time, you know? And it just, I, I, I started thinking, I don't have to run this. Like it's, you know, a huge firm. Yeah. And so then I got real lenient. I got on the opposite side of everything. And like, and then I realized that that was hurting too. Like I was like, oh yeah, you'll get your time in, whatever. Just make sure the work's done. And we're still kind of that way. I'm not yeah. real. Uh, I don't worry about what hours you work and that kind of stuff. I worry about the workload. But now we've got some new issues because now we're bringing in remote workers. You're mm. in various states. I have re- workers in five states. Mm-hmm. And so I have five different sets of laws I have to contend with in those oh, states. Yeah. And so the it's just a whole different way of working now. So I've had to figure out ways to set boundaries. I also don't know those people as well. They're not in my office every day. We don't have a yeah. personal relationship the same way I do with the people that are in my office. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to find a way to say, I really trust you, but I have to cover both me and you in case something goes wrong. And so the, yeah. now we're setting boundaries. Um, a lot of HR boundaries and communications mm-hmm. boundaries. Mm-hmm. And are those like when you usually do that, are those written down and like are they're signing them or how are they documented? Yeah. So I had a really hard time. It's really hard to find HR attorneys <laughs> in our price point for small firms, right? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. I can, it just gets really expensive to review all those documents. And so I've utilized technology to do my back end of my HR and hired a tech company, an online tech company to do my HR. Mm-hmm. And now when I sign some, when I onboard an employee, my personal HR person who I talk to quite regularly, it's not just chatting on the computer. We have a telephone conversation every week yeah. um, if I need her. She helps me with my onboarding. We've designed policies. We send them out. Um, they sign each policy. So every single thing they know about, they know what is expected of their attendance. Telecommuting automatically, the work jobs, the, um, what do you want to say? The postings that you're supposed to post of your state laws. Yeah. I don't know what's happening in Missouri. You know, I'm right. in Ohio. So I, you know, or Nevada or for that, you know, whichever state. And so they take care of that and they make sure, you know, this person lives in this state. Let's make sure we have them posted with all these things. Mm -hmm. So that's very different than before. We might've just had the workers comp certificate, you know, on the cork board in the back. And that was the end. Mm -hmm. But now we have to be careful. There's all these postings in these different states. So we've had to actually hire an HR firm to to help us with that. Yeah. Yeah. How do you then, because we talked kind of circling back to like, okay, you're primarily fixed fee or value billing. And now that becomes more employee management than client management. What like mechanisms in place do you have for that to make sure, you know, they are doing what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it. If it is, you know, you're partially remote now, you can't just be looking over their shoulder and no, so we really, you, yeah. How do you manage and track that? We really have to look at work product. Here's your stack of work. Here's what you're supposed to be doing. Did you get it done, you know, in the allotted time? Uh, Or not in the allotted time, but I mean, time, like I wanted it done by Monday. Was it done by Monday? You know, did you get these things done? And we really have to pay attention to who is going through and picking up jobs. How much are they getting out? Those kind of things. So in that end, we, we've had to implement some communication systems and plan our workflow systems to mm-hmm. watch how everything's going through and who's picking up and putting down items and, and actually getting the work done. Yeah. What tech are you using to enable you to do that? We use, so we don't use anything um, accounting specific except for mm-hmm. tax returns. We do for tax returns are, prepare, are, are concerned, but we use Microsoft Teams. Okay. We use we utilize the whole Office 365 suite or Microsoft 365 suite. We use Planner, Microsoft Planner, 
Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit, if you haven't seen it, it's a little bit like Trello. It has cards. And so oh, okay, we can yeah. assign things and move them through buckets, uh, mm-hmm. the process. And we can watch who's picking them up. And we talk to each other within those cards. We put... Um, you can attach PDFs in those cards, everything about that job, and you can watch it move through the cycle. And based on who it's assigned to, and it'll shoot out emails, you know, this has gone to this stage, go to the next place, et cetera. Yeah. So, and we love it. We absolutely love it. Yeah. How, how's your internal hierarchy? Like, do you have someone overseeing everyone working on client work? Like, how's who's accountable to who in kind of this structure? Yeah, so we're small, so we hadn't we hadn't really we all just kind of work together and have mm-hmm. meetings every so often, which is great on Teams again because we can see each other's faces and catch up yeah. and feel like we know each other, especially if you know we have remote workers. But beyond that, as we've taken on taken on more people, I've just hired in somebody to do workflow management and project oh, yeah. management to make sure that those things are watched and things aren't getting falling through the cracks because things are starting to fall through. Yeah. And and so it's really time to have a not entirely, I don't need a full time project manager, but somebody that's in charge of making sure things are going through the process. Yeah. Now here's a question. So that project manager, do they have a specific accounting background or not? Because I'm trying to think of, you know, a lot of firms are probably where you are where they're not absolutely huge, but they need someone to oversee that. So do you need to hire someone yeah. with an accounting background or not? I, I don't think so. I think you just need to hire somebody who has a voice and isn't afraid to ask people where things are. So it needs to be somebody who is also, then this is one of the problems I have, people who aren't afraid to, to tell me I need to do something. You know, <laughs> They'll say, well, you know, did you do this? And I'll say, no, I can't right now. I've got to, you know, I got to talk to Laura Lynn. I got to, yeah. you know, do something else. And, and then they go away and they don't come back for like three weeks. And I'll be like, we didn't get this done. They're like, yeah, but I asked you. And you said, and I'm like, no, but that's why I hire you. Just keep bothering me. Yes, you have yes. to keep bugging me because I have so much going on. I can't keep track. Mm-hmm. So uh, the most important thing is they're willing to use the technology. They're willing to follow anything through the actual process and yeah. ask questions and see where things are. They will just stay on top of it. I think that's the most important. They don't have to actually know how, what the people are doing, just that they're doing it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, take note, everyone. I think that this is a position within a lot of people's firms that's not filled, that could be filled, and it doesn't need to be someone with a CPA or EA designation. You know, just yeah. can be someone good who's someone who's good at project management. So. Yeah. And if it's somebody that's a bookkeeper, um, maybe where they've handled multiple clients, you know, they have that kind of, they can multitask between multiple clients and they can show. So maybe you have somebody that's only working 20 hours a week in bookkeeping and they can pick up uh, the other whatever time to make sure you can afford a little admin time for them to make sure everything else is working through. Those kind of people tend to multitask because they've got to keep track of clients that way. So yeah, um, you may be able to pick somebody within your firm to do yeah. that. I, I found just from my own experience, sometimes just managing the client takes just as much time as actually doing the client work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. It sure does. <laughs> well, and so bringing that back around to boundaries, we've mm-hmm. implemented some tech there too with Microsoft Teams and we put our largest clients in Microsoft Teams. Yeah. And we've we've set clear boundaries on the way we prefer to communicate. Yeah, we prefer to communicate in Teams. And every time you send me an email, I send you an email back that says I replied to you in Teams. Please check your Teams <laughs> because I don't want to have my email open all the time. It's distracting. So we set preferred communication. And then when you go into Teams, you'll find I'm not the only person in there. I don't allow chatting with clients in Teams. That part's turned off. Mm-hmm. We only allow the team aspect. And, you know, if you have Slack, I'm sure it's the same kind of thing. But what we do is we put multiple people in a team and we make team champions. And so you can't get to me necessarily. You get to my, you get to a team and mm-hmm. you get to a team captain and that captain will make sure that message gets where it needs to go. And that kind of sets some boundaries with the client. Like, look, you don't just get to talk to a specific person every time. Yeah. But it's actually better because maybe that specific person isn't there today. So we'll handle it in a team aspect and make sure things get done. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I read a really, I'm actually reading it. It's called it's this book right here. <laughs> Your video no. it's called, so it's called setting the table and it's by this um, restaurantpreneur named Danny Meyer. And I'm like reading it and highlighting stuff. Cause it's really focused on the hospitality side of uh, the restaurant business. And wh- like he has several Michelin star restaurants, but nice. there is one thing he said in there that one thing, like I underlined highlight that really stuck with me. And he talks about in your business being on the defense instead of on the offense. So how many problems or potential problems can you anticipate beforehand and solve for so you're not reacting? And so this, I think, so then I want to tie this in is what are ways you can be defensive with the staff in terms of setting good boundaries from the get-go? Like what, and then also too, like what are the legal considerations if you don't do that? Yeah, so... That was my big fear and why I finally hired a HR company of some sort, you know, because do Do you mind sharing? No, I don't mind. I I use Bambi, you know, I heard about it. I researched like mad and then I was like, I don't know, let's just, let's try it. Cause I don't have HR attorneys where I live necessarily, you know, I'd Uh have to really research and, and I was like, let's just go and check it out and see. And it turns out it's been fantastic. It really has. So, you know, I haven't used them uh, for a huge amount of time, but mm-hmm. that's my question, right? Like, I don't really know these people. I come from a town of 3,500 people. My employees, I generally know who they are, who their aunts and uncles are, their cousins. I know where they uh-huh. went to school. I know yeah. if I can trust them or trust their kids, you know, but mm-hmm. I don't know these other people. And and no matter how much I interview them and I think I love them, I don't know how that's going to result. And so that's where the where those kind of boundaries have had to to come in with uh, mm-hmm. the HR company and and such. So on the defensive side mm-hmm. um, and the legalities, because those are so many unknowns to me, I don't want a very tight atmosphere, very boundary. Like I don't want it like this. Like my dress code is look like you didn't just wake up. <laughs> I don't know if I would pass that. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, today you're going to you know, some people's dress policies, like I said, when I first started out, were like closed-toed shoes. You know, one of them, I worked at, we had to wear a hose, you know, yes. just, you know, all those things and those, no sleeveless, sorry, I, you know, <laughs> you know, those kind of things. I was at home on my first day of work at one job because I had a sleeveless uh, outfit Ooh. on one day. And you uh, were like, I was in college. we're doing yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I was young then. So, but at any rate, um, you know, those things are all different now and I don't know mm-hmm. what the legalities are. And so these people help, but because I don't want really tiny boundaries, I've tried and look at it as what can we do? What problems can arise? What mm-hmm. is it that I want to solve what is it that I really want to have happen? Not solve. What is, what is my main goal? Whatever it yeah. is, what's my main goal? So like, I know this doesn't have anything to do with accounting, but let's talk about yeah. the way somebody looks. My main goal is that somebody doesn't think that I just pulled you out of a dumpster to work for me <laughs> and you don't know what you're doing. Right. I yeah. don't know if that's nice to say, but, but that you, you, that you just show up and look okay, you know? So that's my goal. But do I really have to define everything around that for that to happen for you? Just because somebody else wants to dress in lines and put lipstick on doesn't mean the next person is yeah. going to do that. And that's okay. There's just some kind of professionalism I want involved. And if you listen, I think GM came out with a thing like that where they don't actually have a dress policy anymore either. They were like, look, the more decisions we take away from people, mm-hmm. the less they use their brains to decide right and wrong. And so the same concept here, if I'm telling you exactly what you can do, you can look just as bad with all the things I tell you to do as you can without them. Yeah. And yeah. so, and this is a horrible kind of example because dress policy is <laughs> not my biggest, I'm not a biggest fan of those, but the idea is I want to give you as much as you can to use your brain and think about, you know, what your clients want, you know, dress for the part, who's the client you're talking to, what do you need to do? Yeah. Um, those kind of things. So you want your boundaries large, but go back to your original question. What are we trying to solve before somebody complains? Mm -hmm. Does it need to be this tight? Maybe even if I think it needs to be this tight, does it really, what are the people around you going to say? And then let's come up with something in the middle and solve that before it even starts. And it's funny, you should mention restaurants. I've owned a restaurant and a bar in my life. yeah, And so those were the type of things that I would talk about, like front end on the front end service and hosting and those kind of things. Like, look, when you're not standing here, people are already mad. 
And so you Mm -hmm. need to get back here and solve that before they're mad or when they're seated. What can we do when they're seated and that and the waitress doesn't come out because she didn't know they were seated? Well, what if we can get some software in place that that turns the table a different color or something like that? What are the problems we can solve? And you can do that in accounting, too. Same same thing. What can we solve? Mostly it's communication and accounting. Yeah. Did you know that 52% of accounting practitioners, large and small, still rely on spreadsheets and manual processes for sales tax compliance? Why not move your accounting practice to the 21st century using Avalara for Accountants? The Avalara for Accountants automation platform helps accounting service providers of any size grow their service offerings with sales tax prep and filing, transfer pricing, research, business license management, and more. Scale your practice efficiently with award-winning automation that brings efficiency and accuracy to sales tax compliance. Want to learn more? Email accountants at avalara.com or visit avalara.com. So I know everyone listening to this might not necessarily be an employer. They might be an employee. So what are ways that employees can, in turn, proactively set boundaries or expectations with their employers? Yeah, I think the big one, there's probably communication these days. We communicate mm-hmm. 24-7. And we tend to communicate however we want, when when we want, in any way that we want. And while I talked about setting communication boundaries with my clients, people tend to communicate with their employees like they own them and yeah. their time. And, and maybe back in the past, that was more prevalent, like that was okay more, but also we were we didn't have the access that we have to people. Yeah. So, you know, now that we have all this access, it's different. So if your accounting firm doesn't have a communication policy when it's okay and, and how to communicate and preferred communications with employees, they should. And mm-hmm. and as an employee, you should ask for that. So in our case, when we put in teams, I was very adamant, like, look, one of the reasons I put in teams is during tax season. I get most of my work done between 10 p.m. and um, 1 a.m. And I'm going to shoot you a Teams message, you know, this, yeah. and I'm going to do it. Turn, do not have Teams on. I'm telling yeah. you, do not have it on. I'm not trying to get you. I don't expect you to write me back. Please don't yeah. write me back. Don't, sh- don't open your email. Our voiceover mm-hmm. IP system can have texting. Please make sure that turns off automatically at 5 p.m. when you go home. Um, yeah. But if I don't tell them that, they may come, they may think I'm trying to get a hold of them 24-7 and be upset with me. So I tried to set those expectations up front. So please let your employers know because they may not even know they're doing things that are, that you view as going outside the boundaries that, that maybe you're getting them or you're making them work too long and it's, and yep. it's just difficult, uh, especially with remote, we just tend to think people can work 24 <laughs> seven, you mm-hmm. know, just yeah. do bring that up and, and, but bring it up politely and, and, you know, not, not dear sir, not like that plate, but yeah. you know, you know, with some, some respect of why things are not working, but they should definitely set especially communication and work boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wonder even, I bet there's tech out there that could automate some of that, you know, like the inbox is paused from 5 p.m. to 8 p- eight a.m., you know? So it's like, even if the worker wants to try and work, they can't, like, there's no way to do it. And yeah, so, so Outlook does that. Outlook will say, yeah. are you sure you don't want this message to go till 8 a.m.? And then I'll go, oh, that's probably a good idea. Okay. Yeah. 8 a.m. My, like I said, my voiceover IP system will set hours on and off so they can do it. Some of them have it on their phone because they like to text to clients or mm-hmm. clients like to text so they can see it that way. And I'm like, turn it off. The, you know, one of our big accounting employers, I don't know, you know, I don't know about all the tech, but one of our big mm-hmm. tech companies, you know, they have very specific hours and their entire hour, their entire system shuts down at a certain time at night. And it's like, no, you will not work past this time and you won't start before this time. And you can't work on the weekends because our system shuts down. Yeah. That's nice. We don't really do that, but yeah, (laughs) but you know, yeah. And I understand too, especially in the remote work environment that might not work for every employee because some employees <laughs> want to work those odd hours because yeah. that fits better with their schedules. But like from my perspective as a proactive kind of, you know, cover your A word 
um, move that employers could do to make sure that employee could not come back and say, you were making me work way more than I needed to. Like you just make it impossible for them to, <laughs> to do it. Yeah. Uh. yeah. So hopefully I think the best part about boundaries is when you hire really good people that you can work with together, you have a synergy and a, a relationship and a synergy of, as a firm mm-hmm. that you generally maybe this is just a smaller firm thing. You generally do okay together. If you're hiring the right people, you generally do okay. But that doesn't mean you're not going to get a wrong person in and that's going to be hard to deal with on everything. Yeah. And they sneak in and um, (laughs) you also don't want to take advantage of people. So you do need to speak up if you feel, you know, that people are sending you messages at 1 a.m. and expecting a response at 102. Yeah. That's a little much, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I always say, we aren't ER doctors. Like nothing we're doing yeah. is an emergency and has to be dealt with in the middle of the night. <laughs> no, that's right. I, I, I tell, uh, I heard this in a movie and I love it. And the girl had a, um, a tattoo on her arm and it was in a different language, but it said, there are no tigers. And I thought, I love that so much. Yes. There are no tigers. Like sometimes I write it on my arm. I tend to write things in the morning, like oh, things to it. remind me of things to do. And sometimes I'll just write, there are no tigers. Like nobody's going to jump out and kill me today. Yes. It's going to be, a client is not going to, you know, a cl- become a tiger and, and take care of me today. It's, it, we're all going to make it through. There are no tigers. And so at 2 a.m., there's still no tigers. You know, yes. we're going to be okay. <laughs> oh, I love that. That'll be my next tattoo. <laughs> so. I love it. I love oh. that saying so much. Um, okay. Our, let's pivot kind of to the other side of the boundary expectation equation, which is external mm. with clients. So let's kind of walk through the timeline of engagements and talk about, you know, kind of in each step, the different ways boundaries can be set. So I feel like the first one is before the engagement even begins. So what are things you can do before you even have a client sign an engagement letter to start setting those expectations and boundaries up front? Yeah. So I think what's important here is not to bring a client in and go ahead and set the expectation that you're going to tell them everything in your first meeting mm-hmm. with them, okay? Because mm-hmm. you're already if, giving everything away or telling them all the things you could do. Even if you're not telling them how to do it, you're telling them all the things you could do. And you're you're already just kind of vomiting your processes to them. And they're going, oh, yeah, yeah okay. And they're in their mind, they're getting all this. And then that's how you're going to work from then on out. That's what they're going to think is going to happen. So it's very important in the beginning when you're talking to them to set the boundaries right away in that, okay, first let's, let's fill out this form. Let's get you an appointment. I'm not going to tell you everything on the phone. Now that we have an appointment, let me listen to you and see what's happening. And then let me take time to process that and, and give you back what we can do. You know, so I think Mm -hmm. that's the very first thing to start with is just not, and that's hard for me. If you can't tell, I like to talk a lot. So that's (laughs) really hard. And I have to mindfully do that. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard uh, people say, what's that? It's like hire slow, fire fast. So there's firm owners I know who will intentionally make kind of that onboarding process slow and a little bit, dare I say, burdensome to the client where they actually do have to show some initiative of what they're doing and go through your process and not try to skip steps because that will be an immediate red flag if they're trying. I don't want to fill this form. I just want to talk to someone. I don't want to do this. I just want to skip there. So yes, yes. I saw somebody's site the other day in accounting firm and I loved it. I was referring a client to them actually for a job I didn't think I was the right person for. Mm-hmm. And the onboarding or the questioning, I loved it. It was one question at a time in a form. What is your name? <laughs> and her name hit send. Where do you, what state are you in? <laughs> like it was one thing, not just a PDF form to fill in and send. And I thought, this is going to take a while, but I kind of like it because it's making them understand you're going to go through a process. This isn't yeah. just call me up and get everything I can tell you in five minutes and then hang up the phone and or 20, whatever, bend my ear and then run away. This, yeah. is, this sets the expectations for how we deliberately work. Yes. For the rest of the time. And I took notes about what they did. I was like, <laughs> I really like this. <laughs> and I actually have a trick. Um, so if you are in like a potential client meeting and they're asking you very specific questions, a really way to redirect that is go, <gasps> that is such a good question. Yeah, that's something we can totally discuss and talk about when you become a client. <laughs> 
So you, yeah. just, so you get really excited and like, oh, that is a really good question. All right. Once we're a client, we'll talk about yeah, it. Yeah. I love and it. It works, so e- it works so well. And it's like, and you don't come off as kind of like, uh, no, we're not going to talk about it. Like you're coming across as excited and willing to work with them, but just not yet. So that's not yet. Not until you sign and understand the responsibilities of that. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Okay. So then let's talk about kind of expectations within the engagement letter. How detailed do you get? Like, are you just covering like, these are the deliverables? Are you going so far to like communications expectations? Like how far do you go? So my engagement letters are large. My engagement letters are not one page, not for my tax, not for my 1040s, not for businesses, nothing. My engagement letters are are large. They cover quite a bit. And I just say, hey, look, you know, I had I had a client one time who's an insurance agent say, look, this is really long and it sounds like you are putting responsibility on me. And I said, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and also, remember when I bought that insurance policy, all that paperwork I had to sign? Yeah. <laughs> Same. This is no different. And so, you know, you know, if you have foreign transactions, I need to know if a partner leaves, I need to know all these different things. So, but beyond that, let's talk about CAS services, because that's Mm -hmm. where we get into, we kind of know tax returns, right? Some things might pop up, but CAS services are where you can really go beyond scope and really hit some boundary issues. And so with those, we define the number of transactions. We define, Mm. you know, how many accounts payable will pay for you, how many checking accounts you can have, how many employees you can have at this rate. We really set it out. We are going to do 1099s and there's going to be up to this many. And if a client tells me they have 20, I may say, okay, we'll do up to 25 or 30, you know, just in case. I want to give wiggle room. They say they have, yeah, it just depends. Whatever they have, we'll figure it out. If they have five employees, but they look like they're growing, I might go ahead and set it at 10 and charge them somewhere accordingly. And then if they hit 11, I don't really say anything. 12, I'd start to watch and then I go, okay, you know, (laughs) and then I push the letter over. And on the back of my engagement letter, there are appendixes. And Mm. the appendix A is this is the work. This is the, the day it's delivered. This is how I expect it to go through the process with me. Appendix B is this is what a change order looks like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you just went from uh, Formica countertops to granite, you have a change order. <laughs> yeah. And so the same thing here. If you went from 10 employees to 15 employees in your payroll, or, you know, then we have a change order. And I'm going to change the price accordingly and send you this change order. And we're going to agree on a new price on this change. We're not going to redo the whole engagement letter. Yeah. But we're going to just amend it with this change order. And so I hit all those highlights in my engagement Uh letter. Do you also have then like, we expect you to reply within X amount of days when we're trying to figure stuff out. If it's been X amount of days and we haven't heard for you, you know, you can be fired, you can be charged extra. Do you have anything like that in there? So I don't because I um, deal with a lot of small businesses and small clients and I've kind of let it go. But that being said, (laughs) we had this conversation last week Yeah, and I said, okay, people are really slow and it backs us up and that's not okay. Yes. So we're currently writing a plan to set the boundaries on that. That's our, that's our latest thing. How are we going to say, this is how our time period works. And if you don't get it in this period, then we move on and we close your books like this for the month. And it is what it is. Now we can go in the next month as part of our work and see, you know, and fix it. Because ultimately I'm going to be saddled with it anyway when I do the tax return, right? Because I don't just do bookkeeping. So I can't totally write them off because I'm going to get the end of that. The worst though is getting to February and being like, shoot, we still have the last six months of uncleared transactions that the client has not answered. (laughs) Exactly. So that, you know, we, there's some point where they're going to, that's not going to work out maybe, but that's when we can say, then either this isn't working because you're not following our procedures. You're not communicating with us in teams. We even set up, we use planner even for our clients in teams. We've set that boundary. We, we do the little cards for them and post things and checklists and things and say, okay, we need to onboard. We need all your W4s check here when you've uploaded and we need, you know, mm-hmm. but if the client's not moving those through the bucket with us, they have to be part of the process. Then, we have three or four right now that aren't moving through the process well that we have to have a heart to heart with. And <laughs> Come I hate to it. Jesus talk. <laughs> yeah, they've been clients um, for 40 years, but yeah. 40 years, but they're not willing to change. And so we've, yeah. we've moved on and they haven't. 
And so we're going to have to start having hard conversations. And I hate it, but it's going to have to happen. Yeah. Okay. So you have some very specific, it sounds like, triggers within your engagement letter of when stuff scopes up and, and what those are. Who's actually actively managing and tracking those? Yeah, good point. We <laughs> find the more that we have of those, the more pain in the rear end it is for us to, <laughs> right? to do. Like, <laughs> yes. It started out, it sounded like a great idea. Yeah, I know. And it really <laughs> is a great idea. Yeah, that's, it, that's the um, rub. Like how often are you reviewing someone's books to make sure they're within their allocated transactions? Is it monthly, quarterly, bi-yearly? What do you guys do? So now we started to watch in the software we use, we started to watch the transaction count. Okay. And we've started to watch the employee count. And so, and because I've owned two places with bars and I do use the thing of overpointing, that's how I explain it to my employees. Like, look, you know, when you go in and somebody makes a drink, that drink should taste a certain way every time. Mm -hmm. It should be the same if you went on Monday as it is if you went on Friday. Yeah. And if somebody puts more in it, not only does it maybe not taste right, but you're not getting the right item and your and your business is losing money. Yeah. So these people we have to treat the same way. We're going to lose money out of this because you're doing more work than you're supposed to do. And the client's not really getting what ends up happening is we start giving them bad service yeah. and they get a bad effect. And it's the same thing that the drink starts to taste bad. And we're losing money. And the same thing happens on the other hand. The client starts to get bad service because we're getting frustrated with the amount of time we have to put in and we're losing money. And uh -huh. so I really need you to pay attention to these things. And I have to tell you, my team is really good about telling me about it. I'm the bad one about being able to take the time and then go to the client and change yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was going to be my next, that was going to be my follow-up question. Okay. So is that like them tracking that? Is that just part of like their monthly close? Like they have a check item that they review that and that's like, oh, reviewed it, check. And But yeah. then that falls on you then to actually follow up the client. They're not the ones reaching out to the client about it. Right. No, we're going. So one of the other boundaries things is we've, historically, you just, the same person, because we're so small, takes care of everything for a client, right? Yeah, like, totally. But I have learned that clients take advantage of that. They call them, they, they, they oh, yes. uh, want them to answer all kinds of questions that they don't really have time for. And they communicate constantly. We have started to go to more of a front end, back end system as well to kind of stop that. So okay. the person on the front gets the questions and the person on the back is doing the work and communicates it to the front. And then that way, it really just kind of closed down the client a little bit because they just don't call every two seconds. They try to answer yep. everything because I'll say, you know, I have to relay this to somebody else. So, mm -hmm. you know, I need you to answer in this time frame. So the, yeah. we've started to set those boundaries because otherwise there really is no boundary. They just pick up the phone and start or send an email or do whatever or try to bypass the team system or talk directly to them. And so we've kind of cut that. Yeah. So in your engagement layers, is that usually like these ongoing client accounting um, services you offer? Does that include in limited communication or is there any type of cap on that? Yes. Yeah, so far, the way we've done it is as long as it's within the scope of whatever we're doing, we're fine. Okay. You know? But okay. if it's something that requires any kind of research, pick up something else, uh, pick up, you know, an extra 15, 25, 30 minutes, I've got to go through and find something or do something else. Then we may need to talk about whether this is even in scope and if this is a separate project. But if it's a one-off phone call, I give unlimited. I've tried the thing where it's like, well, once a month, we'll talk at on Thursday at 10 a.m. And people don't have anything to talk about on Thursday at 10 a.m. You know, <laughs> they got something to talk about when their bank speeds break and oh, we need to yes. solve something right then. <laughs> so. Yes. Yes. And that I feel is like a whole nother episode in itself of like, if you have these ongoing scheduled meetings with clients, what do you talk about at them? Because there's not always something to talk about. So that, but like I said, that could be a whole other episode. Yeah. So that's really interesting kind of designing that. But okay. So these two are kind of hand in hand is, well, first off, I'll ask you this. Have you ever fired a client who's constantly just pushing against your boundaries and not respecting them? Yes. Definitely. We have, you're just not a fit. You're, and it's sad because you try and find, I try, I, I'm, I'm overly nice. I'm too nice. Yeah. I'm not confrontational. Uh -huh. um, and then I go off the other end, <laughs> you know, 
And then all of a sudden, but it takes a long time. Okay. That's what I was going to ask. Is it like three strikes and you're out? Like how much grace do you give them before you're like, all right, we're done? Yeah. I, historically, I've given too much grace. Um, I just try to teach them. I try to teach them and get them. And most people are teachable. Yeah. And they'll bring it back in. You know, it's like, like I said, with the email, when once I put you on Teams and you email me, I just kind of nudge you back over there by saying, I responded to you, but I responded in Teams. You know, please look there. And most people will get back on track, but occasionally there's some that aren't. And that's, that kind of goes, it's just time to let go. And, and, and really, it's not even me that I worry about so much. It's my team. They step outside boundaries with my team. Mm-hmm. And I've had, I've had a client um, speaking, not speaking kindly, the boundaries there. Yep. Uh, yeah, that, that I may let it go once. Maybe something happened. Maybe somebody died. I don't know what happened. But yeah. twice, I don't put up with that. That's, that doesn't make it very far at all. That gets yeah. fixed. Yeah, and no, I get better team. I get better team members for that. And I'm pointing over here because my team's all outside my doors over here. <laughs> yeah. But but they I, I get much better play um, or much better, um, yeah, play with each other on that. They, yeah. they and, appreciate and I, it. Yeah. And I feel like, too, like it is the responsibility of the higher up to manage and deal with those situations. Like I think it's honestly asking too much of the staff to be like, deal with this angry person. Like personally, that's my yeah. thought on it. Cause it's like, you know what, if someone's going to verbally abuse someone, I'd rather it be me than one of my staff members. Like, cause I know yeah. I can take it and I know too, I can diffuse the situation. You know, yeah. honestly, a lot of it is just listening and saying, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then it's like, once people get it out, then they're willing to, then like, it's like, honestly, just them being able to verbally get it out. Then that diffuses yeah. at probably 50 or 60% just letting them speak. And then yeah. like, cause I see two people talking about like, uh, they'll, they'll be going back and forth with clients on, you know, on Twitter, I'll see other accounts posting about that, but I'm like, you know what? One or two emails. I'm like, let's get, let's get on a call. We're not doing this via email. This yeah, is gonna- I went to email and now I'm like, you know, emails taking to, we, we all went to email in the nineties and early 2000, you know, everybody yes. switched to email and now it's like, I have email fatigue. Like, yes. just give me the phone. Let me, let me get this over with now. And so I'm going back the other direction, but yeah. I'll tell you some other things too. Tax boundary, boundaries with tax returns. There have been times when clients, maybe it's the bill, maybe, um, maybe it's the engagement letter. Sometimes I've had a couple of clients look at engagement letters and same thing, like, well, you know, if this tax return's messed up and I'm like, it says right there, if it's messed up and I did it on me, like I even pay yeah. your penalties, man, I, I got you covered. Yeah. It, but if it's you. Yeah. <laughs> it's you. And I've had somebody argue and I just, here's your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you go I mean, down to the corner, there's a CP that way, that way, and that way. Just, yeah. you know, pick, pick your pick. You just, but that's not how we're going to, re- that's not the type of people we're going to work with yeah. in here. Yeah. And honestly, like if anyone ever pushes back on my engagement letter, I'm just like, sorry, that's what my liability insurance requires. I can't, I have to put that. That's, you know, uh-huh. that's. That's just required. I didn't make that decision. Oh, I always okay. say, call the lawyers. Have argue yeah. with them over it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, here's kind of the last question on boundaries with clients because you mentioned it, but I wanted to to wait till we got through a couple other things. But okay, so how do you? Because you talk about these legacy clients who are kind of doing stuff the old way. How do you reestablish new boundaries with clients where you didn't? already have them. And I mean, and this could be like, let's say this could be for anyone. Like, let's say in your practice, all of a sudden you're like, okay, I need to create some boundaries because we need more structure. How do you go about doing that? How do you walk back boundaries and create new ones? So normally what we do is have a meeting, like so this has worked for some, it hasn't worked for these particular clients. We're during tax season is a really good time to talk to them because we're doing a lot of other stuff anyway, mm-hmm. um, tax planning and things. And I'll say, listen, I need you to know when tax season's over, I'm going to be spending a little bit of time changing up some processes at my firm. And what's yeah. coming down the pipe is we're no longer going to be using the software and we're no longer going to be able to do your payroll this way. And mm-hmm. we're not going to be hand calculated and on green ledger sheets anymore. <laughs> and so, you know, how... While it's perfect over there in your place, we're not going to be doing that anymore. And so what's going to happen is we're going to have to sit down and have a conversation about how we have to change this. And I want you to know now this is coming. Mm -hmm. Most of my clients 
are okay with that, have been okay with that and have made changes with me. But I've got a few that just, and you know, they may, when I say that's it, you got to go. That may be the moment they realize I'm very serious. Um, yeah. I, you know, but it may not. And that's okay. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. So it sounds like I'm hearing you say, and I agree with that is you're giving them warning. Like, it's mm-hmm. not like this is all of a sudden it starts this second, but it's like, okay, in the next four weeks or the next two weeks or within the next three months, we're going to be doing this and kind of just preemptively going on the defense, letting them know this is coming, be ready. It's not happening yet, but I'm giving you ample warning. Yes. And one of the things we're working on with that right now is um, like electronic delivery. I know people all over the country mm. are delivering returns electronically. Yeah. We have the capabilities and I have had it for years, but getting people to actually do it and receive it that way are complicated. This year, we pushed it a little bit more and probably next year we won't go 100% that way. But I've already started saying, hey, within two years, we're going to be delivering returns electronically. So you need to get yeah. get ready, you know, and kind of build it up. So when I say, I've been telling you for, you know, four years, this is coming. <laughs> Last yeah. year, I said next year was going to be the year. It yeah. doesn't hurt my feelings if it... It doesn't hurt. I always say it doesn't hurt my feelings if you need to go someplace else. I understand. Yeah. So what I did, what I did this year with my 1040 clients, I don't have many of them, but I lined out like I kind of did a per schedule billing, but I did add a line item on there. Like if they wanted a paper return, that was an extra $300 to their tax bill. (laughs) 300. That's yeah. That's a lot. Guess how many people wanted a paper return? Zero. So, there's that's, always that method. Awesome. You can just price it so much that number one, it disincentivizes them. Or two, if you do have to do it, it's worth your time. We did that with e-filing when we switched to e-filing. Nobody wanted e-file. Nobody wanted e-file. I'm really aging myself with all these stories, <laughs> but nobody wanted the e-file. And then finally, I was like, "It's a hundred dollars to get a paper return because you're outside our processes." Yeah. And they don't have any concept of that. You can't speak accounting speak to people who don't do accounting or, or tax. They don't know. But you're outside our processes, and it's so complicated to work two processes at yep. the same time. And so. It's just going to cost more. And finally, you know, everybody e-filed it, you know, it finally came about. And that's what we're going to have to do on on this as well. But we do try to give them a little bit of time and a little bit of notice and, and mm-hmm. move things along. And we've changed accounting softwares like that on people. And most everybody's been um, good about it, you know, just build up over time. Nothing really cold turkey. I haven't done that to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what would you say then? Do you have like a good kind of three-step framework for setting boundaries? Like what are kind of three key points you would say when people are setting boundaries or expectations? Clients, staff, anyone? Yeah. I think the first thing is to define what it is you want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Really define the goal of what it is you're trying to accomplish. Forget boundaries. Yeah. Just what is it you're trying to do in general? Is it is it the tax return? Is it the delivery of something? What is the goal? The second part is what do you think the boundaries should be and what does the person receiving the item think the boundaries should be on the other side? Yeah. Think the boundaries should be. Mm-hmm. And then find the third one is to actually find the workable solution, which probably isn't exactly what you think it should be, but it won't be exactly what they think it should be. So you need to define it, work through who's involved in it and what their their point of views are, yeah. and then set what the actual workable boundaries will be that people should be happy with. Yeah. And you're going to have people fall, be upset either way, but at least yeah. you've tried. Yeah. And I think, I think we fall prey to this in our industry a lot is like that we are so far removed from what the, who the client is and what the client knows is it's easy for us to say, we will deliver this service for you. And that does not mean the same thing to us as it means to the client. (laughs) And so then they get confused over what the actual deliverable is because they don't actually understand what you're doing how much time it's taking you to do it, you know, or whatnot. Like, I feel like we fall prey to this a lot as providers. And there's no more that giant tax return that's like this thick that I used to be able to print out and be like, look at all these numbers. Slap it down. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like huge and I can't do it anymore. And now, and all the extra pages, because I used to say, hey, look, I know this isn't part of the tax return. At first, I thought the pages were stupid, and then I realized they really weren't. It's not part of the tax return, but there's all this information we have to go through to get here, mm-hmm. and now we don't have any of that. Now I just say, log into your portal and make sure you electronically sign the thing, and yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, so I don't it, have- is, 
<laughs> yeah, no, it is hard in this tech world. Like if they're not holding something in their hand, they're like, well, okay, what, what did I actually get? What am I paying for? So yeah. I think in general, accountants could be better communicators. Yeah. Well, and that engagement letter really defining in your engagement letter mm-hmm. uh, is very, very helpful to go back and, and go and say, look, these are the things we're doing for you. We said specifically which states we would do, which withholdings we would do, which sales tax returns we were doing, et cetera. And at least yeah. you have something there you can point out and say, no, we're really doing all this stuff. Yeah. You just don't see it. It's happening in the background. Yeah, exactly. It's like, trust me, you don't want an email every time I complete something for you. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, no. okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. How can people connect with you if they want to find you on social media? Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at Shana CPA on Twitter. And then um, shanaco.com is my website. It's in the middle of being redone. So it'll look different next week than it does today. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe you want to wait because, you know, it's kind of over. <laughs> at the moment. Um, that's one of those things that's hard to do. Uh, but shanaco.com at Shana CPA on Twitter. Um, and then shanaco is on all of the things. And then sh- LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn under Shana Chapman if you if I uh, if you need to reach out and ask a question so nice what about Facebook <laughs> Facebook yeah <laughs> my personal Facebook is not out there but Shana Co is you all right all right so pick your poison everyone Twitter LinkedIn website Facebook. Instagram <laughs> awesome well thank you so much and thank you for all our listeners for joining us and I hope you took away some key points about setting expectations and boundaries with clients and staff. See you next time. <laughs>